Do you remember the beginning of your marriage when your relationship was passionate, your connection was deep, your love was strong, and the sex was good? Remember that? Then the honeymoon was over, reality kicked in, and you found out that this marriage thing isn't as simple as it seemed. We are Kevin and Charmaine Lomax. We're going to take you on a journey through the good, the bad, and yes, the ugly sides of marriage. We'll bring you tools from experts in the field and tips that will help you strengthen your relationship. We'll be honest about what it takes to build a healthy one that will stand the test of time. When we learn how to love and make it a priority, this marriage thing is worth it. All right, all right. Hello, everyone. Today we are coming to you with a special guest. The topic today is Money Matters, and with us today we have Safutu Russell, who is founder of SDR Consulting in Valley Stream, New York. She has been in the accounting industry for over 17 years. She's a CPA, an IRS enrolled agent, and she does quite a bit of work in the tax resolution industry as well. And on top of that, she is an advisor to small business owners, and her friends call her Safi. So hey, Safi, how are you doing? How are you doing, Safi? Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm doing great. How are you guys? We are good. We're doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, definitely. Thank you for being here. Yes. Yes. So, Safi, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you're passionate about. Sure. So, for me, I'll just kind of start out where I started. Um, I took a bookkeeping course in high school and realized that I had a, a passion for numbers, so I decided to major in accounting in school. I went to SUNY Albany and um, went right into working in the public accounting industry, big four firms, for about 16 years straight. And in between that, I got married, had two children, and I realized mm-hmm. that I wanted to have some more options. So I had been taking on clients on my own and then just decided to take the dive and go into self-employment 100%. So right now, I work primarily for myself and work with clients in different arenas, but a lot of small business owners, married couples, and singles as well. And my passion is really educating business owners as well as taxpayers in general on taxation and as well as managing their money. And I do a little bit of tax preparation, accounting, bookkeeping, general business consulting, and also the tax resolution for people who've gotten into trouble with the IRS. Mm. Oh, okay. So that's a little bit about me. That sounds so good. Very well-rounded. I love that. Yes. Okay, so we're going to dive right in here. Would you believe that money is the number one issue couples fight about? Uh, no, did I wouldn't think that? so, no. Safi, how about you? Did you know that? I did hear that, actually. I did mm-hmm. hear that's actually number one reason that people get divorced, unfortunately. Yes. Financial incompatibility is the second leading reason for divorce. It's right behind infidelity, so you're right on there. And 94% of great marriages discuss money goals and the dreams they have for the future on a regular basis. And that's according to financial expert Dave Ramsey, who is pretty well known in the financial industry. He helps couples manage their their finances also. So the couples having trouble in this area are probably not talking about their finances, right, in a productive way. Probably not. I know disagreements around money can happen if you're not on the same page about how money should be spent in the household or if you don't have the same long-term goals even. And sometimes debt is even an issue. Yeah, but they're not on the same page. They should have talked about it. They should have talked about it before they got married. That way they would have had a better understanding of their financial situation. Mm-hmm. 
some couples don't understand when they get married that you actually take on each other's debt and you need to make a plan to pay it. How we handle money in general, I think, has a lot to do with our mindset. Yeah. Right? Our, yes. Our views about money determine how we spend it, how we use it, how we invest it, and so on. Mm -hmm. Some people operate with a lack or a scarcity mindset and others have more of an abundance mindset. But truly, we're all supposed to live in abundance at every single level. Abundant health, abundant joy, abundant peace, and abundant wealth, right? Yeah. We don't leave wealth out. Abundant wealth, for sure. For sure, definitely. Right? Yeah, because in the Word, in John 10, it says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Yeah, we have to ask ourselves, what money habits did we learn when we were growing up? I mean, we probably have all heard the saying, money doesn't grow on trees. Did we hear that over and over again? Because if we did, that fosters more of a scarcity mindset. We know for sure that where focus goes, energy flows. And what you put out is what you're going to end up getting back, right? Yeah, as a man thinking, so is he. That means that if you want wealth, you can't focus on not having it. That's you have right. to focus on how to move toward it and to begin to build it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have an abundance mindset, you're taught to save, invest, and you're taught to leverage money. Mm -hmm. It's all about mindset and um, being on the same page and having those conversations prior to being married and having a plan of action for mm -hmm. the goals, you know, the common goals you have with your finances after you've sat down and put everything on the table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to the next part. My next question is, so how does a couple even begin to figure out their finances? They need to have a clear picture of their financial state. Mm -hmm. They need to know what their assets are versus their liabilities. Do you agree with that, Safi? I do, and I think it's important that they understand what is an asset and what is the liability. And the summary of it is that an asset is something that you own that has value and possibly creates income for you, whereas a liability is something that you owe someone else and is an expense to you. So it's important to understand what kind of bank accounts do they have, what type of investments do they have, any properties that are owned, mm. and then liabilities. You know, what do they owe? Credit cards, loans, are there mortgages on the properties? All that should be laid out in a budget format or, you know, some type of format where it can be discussed. Yeah, I know that. And also, I know a lot of times what you don't know can hurt you. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you don't have a budget or you don't have a clear picture on how much you're truly spending versus how much you're bringing into the house, there's going to be a problem. Unfortunately, people are living paycheck to paycheck, so they're kind of using credit cards to bridge the gap in between. That's why people are where they are today in this world. And, you know, debt is very common um, amongst, I'm sure, many couples. And it's just a matter of making enough income to pay it off and then as well as cutting down where you can cut down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned being on the same page. And I know for us, what, before we even move forward with paying any expenses, we pay tithes. We believe in paying tithes, right? Yeah, definitely. We sow that seed. We sow that 10%. And it's better to give than to receive. You can't expect to get unless you're giving. And giving with a cheerful heart, right? Yeah, definitely. You got to give with a cheerful heart. And also in the Word it says, give and it will be given to you. Mm -hmm. For the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And that actually comes out of the book of Luke 6.38. So Safi, if you're a person who donates on a regular, is there a cap on the amount of charity that you can claim on your taxes? That's a good question. Um, so with charitable contributions, it all starts with whether that person can even itemize their deductions. 
As individuals, you have a choice between a standard deduction and itemizing your deduction. And for 2018, the standard deduction is now 12000 for single and 24000 for married taxpayers. So if your charitable, your real estate taxes, your income taxes, your uh, mortgage interest, if those costs don't exceed 24000 then the charitable deduction is not going to be a separate deduction that you could take because you would just get the standard. So that's kind of the first threshold to get past when determining if you can even benefit from your charitable contribution. So in addition to determining whether you can uh, itemize or take a standard deduction, let's say you can itemize, then your charitable contributions are limited to 60% of your gross income. So um, once you cross over the threshold of being able to itemize, there is a limit on how much you can claim as a charitable contribution. Okay. All right. All right. So now let's talk about some of the things that cause couples to disagree about money and things that can cause problems in a marriage. Some of the biggest money issues in marriage include having separate bank accounts, household expense ratio inequality, not understanding tax implications, salary bravado, quote-unquote, unhealthy spending habits, and being unaware of the tax benefits. All right, so let's briefly break each of those down. We'll start with separate bank accounts. Some couples have one master joint account and no separate accounts, right? And that works for some couples for sure, but for others, it creates a parent-child dynamic, unfortunately, where one of them feels like they're being monitored and regulated. And some couples have two separate bank accounts and no joint bank account. And some couples feel like this is not right because if you're married, you are one, right? You get married to become one. Mm -hmm. So why would you be so separate? And um, they think you shouldn't have completely separate finances. And some couples like us have joint accounts and separate bank accounts. What are your thoughts about that? I think that it depends on the couple. Now, for the joint account... Mm -hmm. If you two are not on the same page about your spending, that may not work. And for the two separate accounts, I don't recommend it. But, you know, if you guys are good enough, if you are separating the bills and you are clear on who's paying what. Now, I like the joint account with the separate account because you get to put your money together in the joint account and that can pretty much cover all your household bills. Mm-hmm. And then the separate account allows you to have some independence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think about them, Safi? I actually was just going to say I, I think the blended option works, um, but it also depends on each couple. Mm-hmm. But by putting money into the joint account to then pay the bills, you know, that's all pretty clear-cut. Everyone's on the same page of uh, what's being paid and, and in order to run the household. But then, you know, if you want to splurge and, you know, buy an extra dress or a right. pair of shoes or right. a suit and you have enough money to support that, then, mm-hmm. you know, I think you should have some independence to be able to do that without feeling like you have to explain every dollar. Right. So I think that combination, you know, is a good way to mix the responsibility of the home as well as the independence. Mm-hmm. Okay. I agree. I, agree. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So we were talking about bills a bit, so let's move on to household expense ratio inequality. This becomes an issue when one spouse makes more than the other, but they have equal rather than proportionate responsibility for the household bills. This is when all expenses are split right down the middle regardless of income. I don't think that that's fair. You know, I think that whoever makes the most money should pay the most. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Yeah, so if one spouse makes, let's say, 60% of the income and the other makes 40%, that's how they should split the expenses and contribute to the investments, right? 60, 40. Yeah, I mean, that would, that be, would, a, be, that would definitely be the honorable thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go into the next issue, which is not understanding tax implications. Safi, can you chime in on that one? So when you get married, there's a, a lot that goes into it. Once you iron out, you know, assets and liabilities, part of the liabilities you want to consider are tax liabilities, mm -hmm. as well as any student loan issues, uh, any child support issues. These are things that are actually going to affect your um, tax implications and may be a factor in determining whether to file jointly or separately. One thing to be clear is once you are married, regardless of what date you get married, for that whole tax year, you are considered married. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, you are either able to file married filing separately or married filing jointly. Some oh. people are still trying to file single. Mm -hmm. Some people do head of household, which yeah. it, there are certain exceptions with that, but it's not common. Most cases, you're either married filing separately or married filing jointly, even mm -hmm. if you got married December 31st. Oh. So that's one important thing to understand. So that's the first thing to address. Um, once you file jointly with someone, you now take on their tax liability. In addition to if there's any things, in, any payments in arrears related to student loans and so on, when you file taxes with that person, let's say that they had $20,000 of a prior liability, when you file jointly, you now are taking on that debt. Okay, so is it better? Um... So what situation, actually, would it be better just to continually file married single versus um, married uh -huh. jointly? Separate? Ma married, married separate? separate, yeah. Married filing separate. There's a lot of factors, and I'm gonna, I'll kind of run through some of the pros and cons of it. Okay. But as far as the um, liability portion of it, so if you file with someone and they have a liability, you take on that debt now, and both of you are both jointly responsible meaning um, they can now come after either one of you for the full amount of the debt, not mm -hmm. even like your portion of it, the full amount. Mm -hmm. If you were, if you filed jointly and you were supposed to get a refund, but that person had um, passed due student loans, they could take that refund and apply it to student loans and arrears. So these are things to you know keep in mind. Now, deciding whether to file jointly or separately depends on a couple things. One of the major factors is the state that you're in. Certain states called community property states require you to pick up a portion of your spouse's income regardless if you file separately or jointly. So those states are important to know, you know, if you're in that state before making that decision. Those states are Arizona, California, Idaho, Louisiana, New Mexico, Nevada, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. Okay. So for those states, you may not, even though you may file separately, it's not going to really benefit you as much if you still have to pick up half of each other's income. Mm. So let's talk about some downfalls of filing separately. Married filing jointly in general is going to give you a better tax rate um, overall. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, when you file separately, you lose several different deductions. Some mm -hmm. of them are the child and dependent care tax credit. Mm -hmm. So when you're paying for daycare costs or summer camp, if you file separately, you will not be eligible to take that deduction. Mm -hmm. The earned income credit. If you qualify for the earned income credit, you would not be eligible to take that deduction if you file separately. The deduction for co college tuition costs, if you file separately, you won't be able to use that. 
student loan interest. You cannot take that. Uh, the American Opportunity Credit, so for higher education costs, tuition costs, you lose that. And then traditional IRA deductions. So there's a lot that you lose when you file separately versus when you file jointly. So these are things to look at when making that determination. Okay, if this person owes $50,000, is it better for me to stay away from that liability but lose all these deductions mm -hmm. um, or work with them and, and pay that down and take on that responsibility? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So, um, okay, so you said something about college and students, right? So up to what age can you claim your child? if they're in college? Yes, so if, let's talk a little bit about dependents first and then we'll kind of go into the age um, that kicks in. There are two types of dependents and they have different rules and I'm not gonna go through all the different specifications, but you either have a qualifying child or you have a qualifying relative. And for a qualifying mm -hmm. child, generally your child must be under 19 mm -hmm. to be considered a dependent okay. or a full-time student under 24. So okay. under 24 is really the max for a qualifying child in terms of age limit. However, if that child is permanently and totally disabled, there is no age limit, so they could be a dependent past that age. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of qualifying child for the child tax credit, that is only under 17. So there's a couple different age groups that mm -hmm. kick in, but under 17 for the child tax credit, under 19 for the regular dependent. Well, not really a credit anymore. We'll kind of talk about that. But to be a dependent, generally under 19, unless they're a full-time student, they can be claimed as a dependent up to age 23. So to add on that, starting in 2018, there were changes to the credit you got for dependents. Prior to 2018, you used to get a deduction of about $4,000 for each dependent, which could definitely add up. Mm -hmm. But starting in... Starting in 2018, they made revisions to the standard deduction, and then they removed the exemptions. So even if you have dependents on your tax return, there's only two credits that you can qualify for for tax benefits. The first one is the child tax credit, which is $2,000 per child if that child is under 17. If that child's over 17, you're only going to get $500. Okay. So pretty much between 17 and 24, if they're a student, you're only getting $500. And those credits phase out once you hit like 200,000 single, 400,000 couples. So they increase the phase out number so more people can get this credit. But once again, once your child is 17 and over, the deductions drop drastically from 2,000 to 500. Mm. So another issue that can cause conflict is salary bravado, quote unquote, right? And that's when the spouse making more money makes the other spouse feel as if they don't have as much value or makes them feel less than just because they're bringing in less money. Yeah, because if the man is the one making the most money, he should understand that his wife is an equal partner in the relationship. And vice versa. Lots of women nowadays make more. Yeah. And they should not make a man feel less than a man you know, just because he's making less money. And the fact that your spouse makes less money than you doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. You know, when you got married, you became one. Yeah, you're on the same team now, right? All right. All right, that was short and sweet. So the next one is? Unhealthy spending habits. Yeah, like when a spender marries a saver. Wow. Yeah, when the spender marries a saver, that could be trying to the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because you have one spouse want to save money, they want to put money away for a retirement or just for a rainy day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, definitely for the future. And you have the other spouse that doesn't worry about the future. They just want what they want when they want it. So they're spending. <laughs> All right. Well, have you heard of financial infidelity? 
Uh, no, I haven't heard of that yet. Financial infidelity. That's when someone is buying things and hiding them from their spouse. Like when your wife buys something <laughs> and she sticks it in the closet and then she brings it out a couple of weeks later and wears it. And then once you comment on it, she'll say, oh, this old thing. Yes, this old thing. Yeah. I've had this for years. And she right. knows she just bought it. <laughs> we know about that. <laughs> All right, we're guilty. One in three couples who argue about money have this issue. So what can we do to fix this? Well, you can stop sneaking your purchases in the house. And, yeah, you know, well, just come clean on any hidden accounts or secret credit cards that you may have and work on building the trust again. Well, does that mean that every time you buy something, you have to come home and say, oh, I bought this today, I bought this today. Do you have to, you know? No, you don't have to do that. But you should respect your relationship enough to not go overboard with your purchases. Agreed. If you feel like you need to sneak it in and hide it, then, all right, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. I, I do agree. And what about when a couple just spends and spends and spends because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses, as they say? You know, those couples that just have to make significant purchases to make them feel good about themselves and to make them feel like they're not missing out on anything. Like uh, another, for instance, another car that they don't really need. Or it could be a situation where they make a big purchase like a house, and then their budget is so tight that they have no extra money at all after they pay their mortgage and other expenses. And for the record, I mean, if you want to buy another car, that is your prerogative. Buy the car. You love the car, buy the car. If you can afford it, go for it. I'm, just, I'm talking about a situation where they really can't afford it, and they're making that decision because it just feels good and then um, causes a problem. Yeah, definitely causes a problem. It uh, have them end up being house poor. So mm -hmm. you have all these nice things, but you can't go anywhere. You can't really enjoy right. it because right. you spend all your money. Yeah, they can't save for retirement if that's the case. And that's just because they're more concerned about their image. You know, you have to be more concerned about your future than having something in the moment, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. You know, and marriage is about compromise. There's nothing wrong with buying the things that you like or the things you need. It's when you go overboard and spend beyond your means that it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. It's better to live within your budget. You know, a little discipline, right? It's not always easy. We, we, who doesn't like nice things, right? Yeah. But a little delayed gratification can go a long way. All right, so now let's talk about when couples are unaware of tax benefits and write-offs. Sometimes they could literally be leaving money on the table. Safi, if you run a small business from your home, how much can you write off? When you have a small business, you are eligible for many of the deductions that big businesses are eligible for. However, you have to make sure that you're completely separating personal from business so that the IRS doesn't come in and start pulling income from various places. You want to have a clear, separate line. When you run a business from your home, you may be eligible for a home office deduction. However, a home office is considered a separate space in your home that is 100% used for business, not a mixed space, not a living room. It doesn't have to be a separate room. It could be a corner of a room, but it does have to be a dedicated space for business. So if you do have that space, whatever the square footage of that space compared to the square footage of your whole home, you get to take that percentage of your common household expenses for business purposes. So for example, utilities, um, heating, your mortgage interest, your uh, rent, if you pay rent, real estate taxes, all of these common expenses for the whole home, let's say your home office is 10% of the whole home, you would be eligible to take 10% of those expenses, assuming you meet the criteria. 
and assuming you have income. If you don't, if you have a loss, you can't add to your loss with the home loss deduction. So there are definitely major benefits to being in business for yourself. If you work from home, you can benefit from that, but it has to be done the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have your kids, you know, toys in your home office. You can't have your home office just in a common space that, that the IRS is going to know is a mixed-use space because they have conducted audits where they come in and actually look at your home office and will make a determination whether it's really considered um, exclusive use. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the main benefits of um, you know working from your home and what you can write off. There are certain expenses directly to the office that you can take 100%. Let's say you have to build a wall or repair a wire in your specific office space. Mm-hmm. Something like that can be taken as a 100% deduction for the business, but anything else that's common to the whole home would be prorated. Mm-hmm. And some tax benefits, really, when you're a small business owner, you just have to make the investment to get your proper bookkeeping set up. I mean, some of the software start at $10 a month. It's definitely worth it compared to just winging it and just using Excel and trying all these other methods of uh, tracking your true business expenses. Just get a bookkeeping mm-hmm. system in place and work with a qualified accountant who can help give you all the tips of what deductions you may be eligible for. Mm-hmm. I have another question about businesses. Some people have a little business and they just use a DBA, right? And others incorporate. What are the benefits for both of those? Which one is recommended? Uh-huh. So in general, in deciding what business structure you should have, most times it's about your assets. Are you trying to protect anything? Mm -hmm. Because for tax purposes, a lot of times the deductions, whether you are a DBA, sole proprietor, Mm -hmm. or a corporation, are are similar for the most part. There are some differences. But your basic tax deductions are the same, whether you're a sole proprietor, whether you're an LLC, or um, a corporation. Um, There are some new deductions that kicked in in 2018 that regular C corporations don't get to benefit from, so there are Mm -hmm. some slight differences there. But outside of that, the laws are the same. The difference is the liability. If someone was to sue you, do you want them to have access to all of your personal assets or just within the business? Exactly. That's really where the determination is mm-hmm. made on whether to do a DBA or whether to do an LLC or corporation. Mm-hmm. Also, people may want to look more professional, so they don't want to just use their own name, and so they do the DBA. Some vendors may only work with established companies, such as LLCs and corporations, versus mm-hmm. just a DBA. So there's a lot of different factors in that, but the primary reason is determining whether you have a liability potential. So just in general, if you own a home, what can you write off on your taxes? Yes, so if you own a home, you're not in business, generally if you are able to itemize those deductions, like I mentioned before, if you're in excess of the 24000 the deductions you can take for owning a home are real estate taxes and uh, mortgage interest, but there are some limitations. Starting in 2018, uh, with the new Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, you can only deduct $10,000 for the year of real estate taxes and or income taxes. So if you're in New York and you paid 15000 in real estate taxes and you also paid in like $10,000 of state income taxes, which are if you work, mm-hmm. you're only going to be able to deduct 10000 total between the two. Wow. So you're losing, you know, wow. a significant amount of money there. So that was a big change that affected a lot of people who were in high property tax state. With the mortgage interest, um, there were some changes there as well. If you have a home that has a mortgage of 750000 or more mm-hmm. starting in 2018, 
So if you got a new mortgage in 2018 and it was over 750, let's say you got a million dollar mortgage, mm-hmm. you can only deduct mortgage interest up to 750,000. The rest of that is going to be um, excluded. Mm-hmm. So that's something to keep in mind for people who are buying, you know, expensive properties that you won't necessarily be able to just write off all the mortgage interest. It's now limited to 750,000. It used to be a million dollar limitation, mm-hmm. so that was another change. So in general, those are you know the most common expenses, the taxes and the mortgage interest, but they are all overall subject to that limitation of 10000 for taxes and the standard deduction of 24000 So if you have $10,000 of real estate taxes allowed and you have mortgage interest of um, 10000 that's only 20000 so you wouldn't even qualify to use itemized deductions. You would have to just take the standard of twenty four, which is higher anyway. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And that's why so many people couldn't, you know, they were paying more in taxes this year. A lot of people owed this year. Yeah, they owed, especially in New York, they were complaining that they were paying more this year than they ever have before because of the the changes last year. Yes, definitely. A lot of, the, lot of those changes affected people in various ways. I mean, even if you didn't itemize, if you had, let's say, five children, that was like a $20,000 deduction you got before, mm-hmm. whereas now, yeah. you know, if you're under age, mm-hmm. you know, you've now lost that. So, a lot yeah. of changes. All right. So, what investments can a couple benefit from tax-wise? Do you want to talk a bit about the 401k or the IRA or anything else that you know? Yeah, sure. In general, um, I'll kind of highlight some of the differences and definitely, you know, a financial planner working alongside your accountant would be a good combination to explore all these so you understand each retirement plan option, mm-hmm. what the pros and cons are from a tax perspective and also to make sure you qualify for them. The 401k allows you to put away money pre-tax. So if you work, you know, if you have a job and you're able to put away X amount of dollars per year pre-tax, that's great because now that money's not being taxed currently. And instead, it's going into your retirement account. Mm -hmm. However, one thing to keep in mind is that once you're of age and you can start taking out those withdrawals, you will be taxed on them at that time. So it's not, you know, a complete tax-free option, but it is a way to save on taxes currently. Traditional IRAs would be something you would set up on your own separately, subject to certain limits of the year. Um, And you can get a deduction on your tax return up to a certain amount when you file your taxes for your IRA contributions made that year. Mm -hmm. So you can get the deduction, but once again, once you start taking the withdrawals later on, they will be subject to regular tax. The Roth IRA Mm -hmm. is one where you can put away money for retirement, but you don't take a current deduction for it. However, when you take the withdrawals out later, you're not taxed on them. So depending on whether you're making a lot of money now or you're gonna make more money later, I know those are some of the factors that are looked at to determine whether you should do a traditional or a Roth for IRA purposes, 401k usually just makes sense because you can just put away that money that you're getting paid from your employer. Lastly, when you're self-employed, you have a lot more options in terms of how much you can put away per year for retirement purposes. Mm -hmm. The limits are higher, so you may be able to do a step IRA, a solo 401k. There are more options when you're self-employed for retirement planning than when you're working for someone else. Nice. Nice. And and about the 401k, if someone wanted to take money out of their plan before they're of age, they pay 50% tax on that, right? They actually, um, with the early withdrawals, whether it be from a 401k or an IRA, Mm -hmm. um, they are subject to a 10% penalty. Oh, 10%. So you will pay regular income tax Mm -hmm. on the withdrawal. 
So whatever your tax rate is. And then you will also, when you file your taxes, pay an additional 10% penalty tax. So depending on what your tax bracket is, the highest bracket is 37%. So in essence, you could be paying 47% on that withdrawal. Mm -hmm. But it all depends. If your tax bracket is only 20-something, you could be paying about 32% on that withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Uh Okay. So um, what other tax benefits should couples be aware of? Really, honestly, people who are in business have the most tax benefits, just to be honest. Um, There's so many more deductions available to business owners than people who are working for someone else. But nonetheless, uh, really retirement planning and and doing tax projections is your best way to find all of the benefits available to you. When you map out tax projections annually and you expect enlarged income coming in, you can talk with your CPA or accountant and determine, okay, what losses do I have out there that I can offset this income with? You know, if you have a big uh, capital gain you're expecting, for example, do I have other stocks that have losses that I could sell to offset that capital mm-hmm. gain? Those are some things that could be done when you're doing projections throughout mm-hmm. the year and looking at all the different pieces of income coming in. You know, if you have uh, a business, should I make this large purchase in December instead of January to cut down on my taxes this year? These are the type of things you can do when doing projections with your CPA or accountant during the year. And, you know, whether you're self-employed or not, there Mm -hmm. are still some benefits out there for um, people who work, for others to uh, cut down on taxes. But uh, a lot of it, when you're working for someone else, does tie into really retirement planning and, you know, making certain investments. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know a lot of people are starting small businesses more now than ever before. So hopefully this helps a lot of couples out there. All right. So when it comes to money as a whole, what key points do couples need to remember? They need to remember that marriage is a partnership. Couples in a healthy marriage talk about money on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. They have open discussions about finances. When we have a major financial decision to make, we actually have a meeting. Mm -hmm. It's definitely helpful for us. That works well. You know, we sit down, we lay everything out, we list the pros, the cons. We really hash it out and figure out what's going to be the best decision. Right? And a couple's compatibility in general depends on how willing they are to discuss their finances. You know, it's not an easy topic to talk about if you don't already do it regularly, but, you know, it's very necessary and beneficial long term. And it's never a competition, it's, it's a collaboration. You're in this thing together, right? Yeah, definitely. You should evaluate your finances and expenses weekly, monthly, or sometimes even quarterly. Whatever makes sense for you both. Mm-hmm. Find out what are each of your financial strengths and weaknesses. Actively listen and acknowledge your differences and similarities. It's about understanding each other and working towards the same goals for your household. For sure. When we discuss our finances in a productive way and on a regular basis, it builds financial confidence. You know, it makes you feel good that you know what's actually going on. And if you continue to butt heads, so to speak, please seek out a professional like a financial advisor, a CFP, certified financial planner, a CPA, like our expert Safi uh, that we have here on the phone. But don't worry, we're going to share her information with you at the end. You know, she is an accountant with over 15 years of experience, over 17 years. So somebody like her that's well-versed in finance would be definitely a great idea. Or you can get a money coach. A money coach can help you balance things out and they can give you tips to make it easier to talk about your money differences even and talk about your financial goals as a couple. 
there are so many other things that should be discussed with a professional. You know, we only covered a few, a good handful of things on this episode, but there's so many things to consider when it comes to finances. We, we barely touched on stocks and bonds. Uh, there are also real estate investments. If that's something that you're going to do as a couple going forward, maybe you've invested already, maybe you're going to invest in the future. That's definitely a, a pretty heavy and worthy topic, you know, to talk to somebody that can guide you about. You may also maybe want to set up a trust for your children. And we did talk about setting up an IRA uh, for retirement. Always a good idea. That 401k is a great idea. And what about preparing a healthcare proxy? I don't think people think that finances are connected to a healthcare proxy, but it, definitely it is. absolutely is, right? Mm-hmm. You need money to pay for the things that come later in life, right? Right. And lastly, but not least, how about our will? We all need a will so that our last wishes will be honored. And in that will, some of your finances will be, you know, listed and discussed and um, considered. Yeah, because if right. you actually have assets and you do not have a will, it could be held up in court for a little while. Well, Safi, let me ask you that. If someone doesn't have a will, right, what happens to all of their belongings, their assets, their investments? Yeah, from what I understand, um, if someone dies without a will, whatever assets that they have go into a probate process. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, next of kin and different, you know, family members would have to go through that process and determine if they're eligible for any of those things. But if not, my understanding is sometimes it goes to the state. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing you want. Yeah. So there is a probate process if you, um, there's a probate process regardless. But if you don't have a will, it definitely does make that process more difficult. Um, and also one thing I wanted to mention with the wills is to be sure that if you have children, that you have guardianship mentioned in that will. Oh, so yes. that besides the finances, that it's determined, you know, what mm. happens with children in mm-hmm. the event that both spouses are no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good point. Oh, yeah, definitely. Wow. All right. We're going to move on to our next segment. Safi, what I normally do is I go out and I speak to married couples and I ask them questions. And we named it the listeners' questions. So since you're our special guest today, we're going to ask you the questions and allow you to answer them. Is that all right? Sure. Okay. So my first question is, what is the secret to a successful marriage? You know, I don't know if there's just one. But (laughs) what I will say, I think, is one of the primary um, secrets Mm. is communication. Mm. And uh, I I just think it all starts there with communicating with each other. about, you know, finances, but also just, you know, emotionally feelings as well as goals, you know, making sure you're on the same page, long-term goals and yeah. visions and um, and just, you know, making sure to have some fun in between all the hustle and bustle and, you know, mm-hmm. the work and the children to carve out that time and just have some fun yeah. and kind of remember how things were prior to being married and having all the responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I understand that. Good That's advice. Good. I like that. Okay, so my next question is... Name a couple whose relationship inspires you and why. Now, that one I have to give some thought to, but, you know, we are fortunate, my husband and I, to be in business in my industry as well as in the business development industry. And um, we have a business mentor who is a couple. And I would say that if, if anyone inspired us, it would be them because, you know, they've been you know, married over 20-plus years. They um, are real. They show the, the highs and the lows. 
And um, and I think that at the end of the day, it's all about focusing on the end result and communicating and being real with each other and accepting each other as, as they are. Mm. And so, you know, our, our business mentors would be the couple that would inspire me, that has inspired us the most. Nice. Okay, nice, nice. Okay, so we're almost done. Two more to go. So the next question is, how did you know that you were ready to get married? So snapshot summary of my husband and I, we actually met, um, I was in high school and ended up going away to school and we had a long distance relationship for a little bit and then we ended up at the same school and graduated at the same time, moved in within a year, got engaged a uh, year after that. And the one thing I could say that made me know that this is the person I uh, wanted to marry was I started to think about what it would be like to live life without that person, mm-hmm. without myself. Yeah. And I didn't, it didn't feel right. And mm-hmm. I couldn't see myself going throughout life without that person. It just didn't feel natural. So that, for me, was when I knew mm-hmm. that um, I was ready. Okay. That was deep. Right. I like it. Yeah, that was good. Okay. So last but not least is... What is one seemingly insignificant marriage tip that you wish you had to receive before you got married? The one tip I would say that would have been the most important would be focusing on getting out of debt and making that a primary focus Mm -hmm. way before kids Mm -hmm. and all the other responsibilities that come with that. That probably would be uh, the one tip that I, if I could go back. Wow, that would have been a good one. I mean, so many people go into marriage with debt after college and everything else. So, wow. Yeah, definitely. Good, good tip. All right, so so thank you for that. Yes, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. What last piece of advice would you like to leave our listeners with? So, uh, I would say for for me, um, being in finance, I've always liked numbers, and I've always kind of used a budget. Um, and not, not everyone has, and not everyone's into that. Mm-hmm. But um, I use a, a tool for our family uh, called YNAB. Y-N-A-B, you need a budget is what the abbreviation is for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a software that um, connects to your bank accounts and allows you to plan out your budget and record all your bill payments and all your spending. Mm-hmm. And I did, did it in Excel prior to that. So what I could say is, you know, first communicate, sit mm-hmm. down, get the budget done, Iron out all the assets, liabilities, all the different um, responsibilities that may have been neglected. Get all that out the way. And then make a commitment that if you're getting married or if you are married already, that you work on it together. And um, that would be my main advice. And then definitely as far as anyone who wants to discuss uh, tax and accounting concerns, any um, business you know, concerns or small business needs, I have a 30-minute free consultation that I offer. I would definitely take advantage of that because not everyone does that. Mm. And it allows us to have a phone call to discuss your specific situation so that we can have a custom solution for exactly what you need. So that would be my last piece of advice. And um, I just want to thank you and uh, Kevin and Charmaine for definitely having me and giving me the opportunity to, to share my thoughts. Well, this has been a pleasure. I have to say thank you to you. Thank you for being so forthcoming with all of this very needed information. We appreciate you taking your time to spend a little time with us, you know, to to benefit couples out there because, you know, that's so important. We're all in this thing together, this marriage thing. We're trying (laughs) to do it right. And we appreciate you for feeding into marriages today. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. We're not done yet. Last, last thing. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they get in touch with you on social media or or um, uh-huh. outside of social media even? Sure. Yep. 
So on social media, you can find me uh, by looking up SDR Consulting Inc. on you know Facebook, um, as well as uh, you know the at sign SDR Consulting. Mm-hmm. So you can use either one of those on Instagram and Facebook. And also, as far as my contact number, the best number to reach me is my office line, which is five one six two five five six six zero three. Again, five one six two five five six six zero three. And lastly, by email at info at sdrconsultinginc.com. That is S as in Sam, D as in David, R as in Robert. All right. Okay. Wow. Well, that was great. I just once again, Safi, just want to. Thank you, you know, for taking time out of your busy day. Because mm-hmm. um, it's funny, I just thought of the saying that it takes a village to raise children, right? Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. it actually takes a village of experts to raise married couples. Well, you know, giving them the knowledge and understanding of what they need in their life. Because, you know, marriage is not just about the two people. It's about all the things collectively together to make their marriage work. It's taxes, finance, you know, all the things that come together to make Mm -hmm. it a whole. So it definitely takes a village to do that as well. And that's why I'm glad you guys are out there doing what you do. Yes, thank you again. I agree. Thank you guys again. No problem. Anytime. All right. right. Now, with that being said, thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check back in for our next episode. Do us a favor and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen on. If you give us a five-star rating, we might just shout you out on one of our future episodes. And if this episode resonated with you, take a screenshot and share it on Instagram or Facebook and tag us at This Marriage Thing. Until next time, peace and love.